0: seven great declarations of faith and i'll start with this text here hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 now faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen that's critical to your understanding you see that faith is what you are hoping for and you've not seen it but you believe that this is what's going to happen For by it the elders obtained a good report. And I think verse 3 is something we should look at as well. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Seven great declarations of faith. What I would like to do is to start out To reiterate a story I told you last week, a true story, because by now, on average, it has already slipped your memory. But I think that it is a great illustration of both the power of words and belief. I finished my message last week telling you the story of Thomas Alva Edison, who, as a young boy, was instructed by his teacher to bring home a note to give to his mother. He didn't know what was in the note, so he handed it to his mother, who opened it up and read something to the effect of these words. Your son is a genius. We cannot teach him here in this school. Therefore, you must teach him yourself. That's what Thomas Edison heard his mother read from a note sent home from the teacher. Many years later, long after the death of his mother, as he was going through some things, he was already world famous for his inventions, he found the note that was written by the teacher, and he read it, apparently for the first time. Because after he read it, he cried for hours. This is how the note actually read. Your son is addled. An adult is an old-fashioned word for mentally ill or mentally challenged. Your son is addled and we cannot teach him here at this school and he will not be allowed to come back to this school, teach him yourself. But that's not how his mother read it to this young man. He was told by his mom that he was a genius. Now obviously he was a genius. But it makes you wonder how many young people are in a wrong frame of mind because someone says, you're not all that smart, and then today we have these, in my opinion, an over-diagnosis of who's AD. I hear adults tell me that they're ADHD, and I don't see much of that in their life. They speak well, they understand well, but somehow they have an affinity towards keeping this diagnosis given to them. And I think that if we would look at the story of Thomas Alva Edison, we could learn something about the power of words and belief. In this case, his mother's belief. Maybe she did not know that her son actually was a genius, but she knew enough not to discourage him with a report from a teacher. You understand that no matter who you see, that would include or start with preachers, doctors, lawyers, counselors, psychologists, psychiatrists, and all the rest. They're still just people and they do make mistakes. Always factor that in. Put God first in his word. Because someone says that you're not capable does not mean that you're not capable. As Edison proved, the premier figure of the 19th century as well as the 20th century and all his inventions and the things that we owe to him. His mother had understanding of the power of words and of faith. The story doesn't say she had faith in God, so I don't know that she did or she didn't. I don't know. But it's a story that once again hooks us up to last week's message, More Than Conquerors, where we can draw some things from this and put them into the context of our Bible. The power of the word all 31,106 verses that are contained in the version that we used, King James Version, is collectively called the Word of God. It can change your life on the condition that you actually believe it. When we're sick, we have a healer. And let me say this, and this is from studying not just from the scriptures, but studying medical books and other things that interest me and have interested me. I've studied a lot of subjects I read, I don't know, a lot of books in my lifetime. And I can tell you from a medical standpoint, some doctors do not understand the science behind healing, including the power of words. You go to your doctor, your physician, whom you do trust, and they say this is incurable. You're likely to walk away saying this is incurable. But here we read in the book that with God nothing is impossible. And you should believe that. Before any other report. There are diseases that are incurable with men. But not with God. There's a few of us in this place here that have proved that. The diagnosis was not good. We reached out and we touched the hem of Jesus' garment. And Jesus performed his word. Because thy word is truth. John 17, 17. Father, sanctify them in thy truth. Thy word is the truth. Or truth. I am the truth. I'm the way, the truth, and the life, John 14. And so we learn something here, again, from the life of Thomas Edison. His mother knew enough not to tell this boy that he was addled, or we could say that he was ADHD, or he couldn't learn. I want to just say something here while it's on my mind so I don't forget it. Dyslexia. I know that some of you say you have it. We had a young man years ago when I was still in New York City who was told he was dyslexic. One night, and I wasn't there, a group of young people from the church prayed over him and had him read the Bible. And all of a sudden, this man who was dyslexic, reading from right to left, started reading from left to right after prayer. It's a true story. We must have faith in God. That's what Jesus teaches us in Mark chapter 11. Have faith in God. Because what you ultimately believe will come out of your mouth sooner or later. I had a medical doctor tell me one time just in conversation. He wasn't promoting it. He was just saying, if you want to know what someone truly believes, give them a couple of drinks. That's very true. If you've been around people who drink, they start saying what's really in their heart. But if you would realize that on occasion when you're not aware of it, even when you're alone, your heart is speaking the truth, what you actually believe. If you believe that Christ is the healer, then you're going to believe that you will be healed. If you believe that Christ is the Savior, is going to take your soul to heaven, then you are acting and speaking in that manner because that's what happens. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We believe, therefore we speak, the scriptures say. So I want to give you seven great declarations of faith found in our Bible. And no doubt you could come to me after this message and say, well, pastor, you forgot this and that and the other. And that would be true because I couldn't name them all. The Bible is filled with people who have faith in God. And God did what was impossible with men, with doctors and lawyers and all kinds of people. God is able to do and He's willing to do. Keep that in mind. God is not hiding from you. God wants to show his strength and power. But you must supply the faith. You must say, Lord, I believe. And I'll share this with you as to how to develop that faith. You must believe against the odds, against the feelings, against the sensations, against what thoughts run through your mind, contrary to what God's book says. And that is what is known as the good fight. The good fight of faith. First of all, I have chosen for one of my seven great declarations of faith, the words of Job. Job made a declaration of faith in a time of pain. Pain, we all know what that is, is defined as an unpleasant feeling occurring as a result of injury or disease, usually localized in some part of the body. But I would like to add this that C.S. Lewis wrote about mental anguish that is hard to see, but is actually worse than physical pain. And I can say for myself, I believe that to be true. Mental anguish is far more painful than physical pain, at least it is for me. Job made a declaration of faith in a time of pain, not pleasure, because anyone can stand up and say they believe a lot of things when everything's going well. But it's difficult to stand up and make a declaration of faith when it's not going well, or to sing the hymn, as is one of my favorites, it is well with my soul, when that's not what I feel, that's not what I'm sensing, and may not be what I'm actually thinking. So I have to develop my faith during a time of pain, like Job. In chapter 13, at verse 15, one of my favorite statements in the Bible, Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Remember, Job is pushing this all over on God, which, to be truthful, God gave Satan permission to do all these things that happened to Job. And if you're not familiar with the book of Job, he had sicknesses and diseases. His children were killed, lost all of his business. He lost his prestige, his honor. And then the person he should have been able to trust the most, his wife and his close friends, all turned against him and he had nothing. Yet, he says, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him, but I will maintain mine own ways before him. In chapter 19 at verse 25, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. That's a prophecy. And though after my skin, worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. A reference, however veiled to resurrection. Verse 27 in chapter 19. Whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins, which is an old English word for the life force, though my life be consumed within me. In a time of pain, how do you declare God's word? Now we're all still living in the flesh, and it is certainly a temptation. When asked, how's things going? To say, well, it's not really going well, and then just keep going down that road. Before you know it, you're into a complete contradiction of what God's book says. All things work together for the good of them that love God. That's what I said on a stretcher just five weeks ago. I don't understand this, but it's going to work for good. And I still don't have a complete idea of how it's going to work for good, but it's working for good. How do I know that? Because that's what the book says. I don't have to feel it, sense it. I don't need validation. I don't need a team of doctors to tell me it's all working for good. I know it's working for good because the book says so. It's a declaration of time of pain. Listen to this here. Again, the words of C.S. Lewis. Listen. He said, For you will certainly carry out God's purpose, however you act. But it makes a difference. This is pretty profound. But it makes a difference to you whether you serve like Judas or like John. Now Judas fulfilled the scriptures. But not in the way that you want to. And then, of course, the Apostle John, Peter, and so on. They fulfilled the Scriptures in the way God has written them. Judas fulfilled the Scripture, that the Scripture may not be broken. But then he impaled himself on some sharp object, so his guts fell all over the field called the Seldomah. He fulfilled the Scriptures, but that's not how you want to fulfill the Scriptures. As a fugitive from Jesus... Or someone who defects from the faith. You want to be able to fulfill God's purpose by being a testimony to what God has said in his book. Job made a declaration of faith in a great time of pain, of testing. Not just physical pain, which he had that, but he also had a lot of emotional pain. His wife told him, just curse God and die. Curse God and die. His friends were all saying, we know that you've sinned. Because God doesn't do this to righteous people. But that's one of the purposes of the book. Is that God does, as I've told you so many times, God does test his own. And you'll find yourself, if you have not yet already, in a place of pain. Where it's painful. Could be physical, could be mental, could be both. But what declaration you make at that point is key. What words come out of your mouth? We may say with the reference to the testimony of Thomas Edison that his mother actually rewrote the script. Your son is a genius, and we can't handle geniuses in this school, so you teach him. She seemed to handle the genius pretty well. Someone has written, his name is Caleb Mathis, I don't know who he is, I don't know what position, if any, he holds in the church, but I identify with him, and I want to share this with you about pain, emotional pain. He wrote that I've been strung along, overworked, and taken advantage of. Can any of you identify with that? I've, listened. I've disclosed personal information in confidence and then had it shared broadly. I've had people sow seeds of doubt and mistrust in my marriage. I've been misled, backstabbed, and left to pick up the pieces. I've been devalued, ignored, and publicly, quote, made an example of, end quote. I've had friendships fall apart and be forced to watch people walk away. And that's just my... Church hurt. The greatest surprises I've ever received in my life, which now I've just gotten used to because I'm experienced, was what came from professing Christians with Bibles in their hands, which came from leaders who not only thought they should be respected, but actually demanded respect. But I don't give respect to people until they earn the respect. Obedience is one thing. Respect is something else. And I know for myself, and I know there's some of you here, you can identify with the words of this young guy. You go to church and you have an expectation that people with Bibles are living in the book. And listen, I've heard on more than one occasion, and one just recently, as a pastor would publicly disclose information that was given to him in private. I want to assure you that anything you tell me in private is not disclosed to anybody. I even rarely talk to my wife about anything that goes on inside my office. There are some things that are already known because some of you will talk to my wife as well as me, then I'm okay to talk about that. I don't talk to people. And I would never publicly talk about what we talked about in private here or anyplace else. You know what I think is one of the greatest sins a pastor can commit, believe it or not? And it's not adultery. That's bad. And stealing is bad. And I've, well, we've all seen pastors do both. You know what I think is one of the greatest sins a pastor can commit? It's lying. Because everything that you and I base relationships on is based on trust. And when a pastor lies... And when this type of thing happens, and it does happen, it is devastating to the emotional state of a professing Christian. Finney wrote about this in some of his writings, that you'll receive more persecution from the people inside the church than the people in the world, because that's the way it's always been. Who killed the prophets? It wasn't the world. It was the people of God, people who professed they were of God. Look through Christian history. Who killed these people? It was the church, or the professing church, Anyway, I just want to relate to you. Pain comes in different forms. It's not always physical. It's mental as well. In fact, my own doctor just told me this this week. She had just read an article somewhere that 80% of the people that go with their complaints to a doctor, 80% of them are related to the social aspect of life. In other words, people who drink, I mean drink to get drunk, they say, well, it's the alcohol. But really, in many ways, it may not be the alcohol as much as it's just the fact that you have somebody to talk to. Well, I'm not advocating drinking, but I am saying that I shared with her. I said, I've been reading for a long time, and I've read in many reports from Harvard, Stanford, other places, Oxford. The average individual visiting a doctor's office, 70 to 80 percent, is based on stress and stress-related problems. In other words, even if you have a real illness, stress is making it worse. In any case, when you're in pain, what do you declare? And I ask you to listen to yourself carefully, because everybody else is anyway. Listen to yourself when you're unaware. You see, if this was a Sunday school and I was asking a question here, you're going to give me biblical answers because that's what's expected. But I'm a person who studies not only the Bible, but I study people. And I watch their mannerisms and their body language, and what actually comes out at an unexpected moment, or uh, when they don't know someone's actually really listening to them then you know what they actually believe. This, I believe, is the reason why we don't have so many healings in the church like the New Testament did. Because we don't believe it. We kind of hope that it happens. But you don't know. And if you don't know, that means you don't believe. Now, I'm not here to put you on a guilt trip. I'm here just to exhort you. I'm not here to upset you and put you on a guilt trip. I can produce the works from science. They're not Christians. Some are secular Jews, some are religious Jews, some are just scientists with no religious profession, have proven scientifically of what different things work to heal the body, physical body, and the mind. And that's without Christ. So once again, I say to you, what should we be able to do with Christ when we quote Philippians 4.13? I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. But the question is not that the verse says what it says. That's accurately quoted. The verse is only good for you if you actually believe that. And when you believe it, everything about you will be exhibited in that belief. You believe. Job was my first pick. The Apostle Paul was my second. He, during a time of persecution, made his declaration... Acts chapter 21, beginning at verse 10. And as we tarried there many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. And when he was come unto us, he took Paul's girdle and bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle. This is the Holy Spirit speaking. And when they heard these things, verse 12. Both we and they of that place besought him not to go up to Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit is saying, when you go, you're going to be bound, you're going to be put in prison, you're going to be persecuted. Now, if that was said to me or you, we would start to think about, well, maybe we should change this missionary journey. That's the usual thing, and it's not necessarily wrong. But listen to the declaration of the Apostle Paul. Then Paul answered, what mean ye to weep and to break mine heart? For I am ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And when he would not be persuaded, we ceased saying, The will of the Lord be done. He was told, You're going to be bound, you're going to be persecuted, which he was anyway. And we're telling you, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit is speaking. And Paul says, Why are you crying? Why are you breaking my heart? I'm not ready only to be arrested. I'm ready to die. I'm going. Now, just think about this later. The Holy Spirit is speaking. And the Apostle Paul says, doesn't matter. I already know that. He already knew whoever he went, he was going to be persecuted. He said, I'm ready to die. That was his declaration of faith. And Of course, he made many in the New Testament. He wrote over half of it. He was ready to die. And let me just generalize this without using persecution as an example. You know, don't amen me or anything just for the moment. Just humor me. How many of you are really prepared to die? You get a diagnosis. It's not good. Death may be the result of that particular diagnosis, keeping in mind that Jesus is still the healer. Are you actually ready to say, receive my spirit, Lord? I'm ready. Now, again, with sicknesses, it's a different thing because we have a healer. But the apostle Paul told his friends in Christ he wasn't only ready to be persecuted, He was ready to die for what he knew to be the truth. And that's the question in this thing we call Christianity, whatever. That's defined in thousands of different ways by tens of thousands of different people. That's why I say to you, it's a tongue-in-cheek statement. I've given up on Christianity after 46 years. Just give me Jesus. Give me the Bible. Give me the Word of God, unmolested by the hands of men The way it was written by the 40 authors that penned these words, so that I too can make these declarations of faith when I'm in pain or when I'm being persecuted. Because all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, some form of it. But if you really know whom you've believed, yet not about him, that's what we teach here, every church does. But then you make it your own. You've heard it said, or maybe you haven't, but I'll say it now. God has no grandchildren. We bring our children to church. We brought our children to church. But that does not necessarily mean they're all going to grow up to actually know Jesus. Know him. Because he's resurrected. He's alive. That's between the individual and God. Our part is to teach, is to persuade. It's to exhort. What is your declaration of faith in time of pain or time of persecution, which for us sometimes gets down to somebody simply making fun of us? You can live with that. Blow it off. What do you care what people think? I have a saying that I use that some have picked up on and used it for themselves. I enjoy a supernatural indifference to what people think about me. That didn't come easy. It came over time. People are whimsical. They're capricious. One day you're a hero. The next day you're a dog. One day they're making you king. The next day they want to stone you. That's why David had to encourage himself in the Lord. Because nobody else around them was. They blamed him for the problems. They blamed Moses. Moses didn't even want to go. Moses said, well, I can't speak well. And God said, well, your brother can. So I speak to you. You speak to him. He'll do the talking. But you're going. And he went. Same with Jonah. Jonah said, I'm not going. God said, I have something for you. <laughs> Instead of him catching the fish, the fish caught him. You're going to fulfill God's purpose As C.S. Lewis said, it just depends whether you fulfill it as Judas or as John. Your will must be set. I remember reading a story years ago, decades ago, about some persecution that was going on on the continent in one of the countries of Africa. Terrible persecution. Something we've never seen here in America and would pray that we wouldn't. Anyway, some American missionaries went over there and they started speaking to the people and they were under, I said, uh, heavy persecution. And the question was brought up that naturally you're praying that the persecution was stopped. One of the bishops, one of the leaders of the church there in that particular country said, praying that it stops. He says, no, we're praying that it continues because the churches had never been so filled. See, Americans, as Americans, let's face it, we have it too easy. Discipline is just like another lifestyle option. You can fill up a church if you keep telling Americans, not only can you keep what you got, you can get more and more and more and more. And then you have all this stuff that's just pure manipulation of either of the text or of the people or both. But Jesus said that the way is not going to be easy and so on. And you know this. So you must be prepared to make a declaration of faith that you actually believe. and That takes some time and some germination in the heart. Praying that the persecution stops. That's what I would have told them or said to them. And they would say, no, we pray it continues. Our churches are full. I told you about the Chinese. And there's tens of millions of believers in China. Don't ever forget that. Maybe hundreds of millions. You don't hear about them. You're not going to hear about them. And when they discovered, of course, it's not good for them. But how would you feel about knowing that church is tomorrow, today's Saturday, you're getting out of a sweatshop someplace, And your church is 25, 30, 40 miles away. So after work, you start walking these long, long miles in the snow to sleep outside some edifice where they meet. So you can get in and you're not even certain that you'll get in to so many people. I'm not praying for persecution in America. I'm just simply saying that usually we don't come to Christ when we're comfortable. We come to Christ when we're in pain. And when you're in pain and when you're persecuted, what is your declaration? Do you shrink in the presence of others at work or wherever you are in the marketplace and say, well, you know, or you answer us. I've had opportunity when someone says, hey, I heard you're that preacher. I said, that's right. That's who I am. Look them right in the eye. I'm not ashamed. Are you? I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of Jesus Christ. Somebody talk about my moral position on different things. I'm not ashamed that I'm not a womanizer or a thief or a liar. I just told somebody that yesterday. Talking about preachers. What are you going to do tomorrow? And he knows I'm a pastor. I said, my boss requires me to work on Sundays. Every Sunday. My boss requires me to work. I said, but I'm not one of those preachers. Talk about how much, you know, you're going to get and all this stuff and give me. And I don't fly a Learjet from my house to here. Ford Fusion will do just fine. Thank you. And it's a good car. What is your declaration of faith in your situation? Look at this one here. Number three. David. How could we forget David? David. He makes a declaration of faith in a time of pessimism, which is the same, I'll use it at least, the same as depression, when you don't feel like getting out of bed. Men may not shave, people don't dress, people don't dress with the same clothes, because they're down, they're depressed. Pessimism is a mental attitude in which an undesirable outcome is anticipated from a given situation. Pessimists tend to focus on the negatives of life in general. And it's the same with depression. Now listen, the scriptures on the end times are certainly provocative, but for you, they're not meant to be depressing. Once again, I'm going to caution you to not get entirely preoccupied on everything going on in the Middle East. There's a lot going on around the world. Look it up. I have. You know about Russia and the Ukraine. You know about China. Look up all the skirmishes going on in Africa and all these countries. Some have been going on for decades, you just don't hear about it because it's not as interesting, and it doesn't sell news. In any case, what is your outlook towards life? Remember this, I say it to you all the time, when Jesus said, when you see these signs, look up. Look up. I mean, I don't really mean to be particularly harsh on politicians, all of them, but let's face it, how many of them can you really trust? I don't care what your party is. Are you bereft of general intelligence to believe that people are telling you everything they actually plan on giving to you? Well, I can tell you one thing. God does plan on giving everything he has said to you. His promises are irrevocable. You can't, and he won't take them back. But we must lay hold on them by faith. In Psalm 69, David reveals just how depressed he is. Verse 1. Save me, O God, for the waters are come in unto my soul. I sink in deep mire where there is no standing. Sinking in deep mire. There's a Latin phrase. Let me see if I can remember it. Semper in excretia sumus. Solim profundum veriat. Which means we're always in the dung. Only the levels vary. We're always in it could be ankle high, knee high, waist high, or you're up to your neck in excretia. <laughs> We're always in it. I sink in the deep mire where there is no standing. I come into the deep waters where the floods overflow me. This is King David. I am weary of my crying. My throat is dried. Mine eyes fail while I wait for my God. Well, he's showing that he's in the Great Depression. Did you hear somebody say from a pulpit, Christians don't get depressed? Don't you believe it? Christians don't get anxious? Don't you believe it? There's plenty of stories in the Bible of men of God, great men of God with depression. But the difference is they overcame it. Amen. Listen to this. At verse 30 in Psalm 69, I will praise the name of God with a song and will magnify him with thanksgiving. A song. It's one of the last things that most people that are depressed want to hear. Very depressed, I should say. But David says, I'm going to sing a song. I will lift up my voice. I will sing. In a state of pessimism and depression, think I'm going to sing. A survey taken just a couple of years ago by the British Psychological Society found that 46, listen, 46% of psychologists and psychotherapists suffer from depression. Almost half of the people in England, it's true of the United States, too, that you go to, well, you don't, maybe, or some do, you go to for counsel are suffering themselves. Simply because they're human. It's not a bad statement, but they're human. 46% and 49% reported that they felt they were failures. The overall picture is one of burnout, low morale, and high levels of stress, 70%. Depressed psychologist. Let me share something with you very, very personal. And I think only my wife would know this, perhaps a few people close to me. You have no idea how many times I've felt my life and my ministry has been a failure. You may see things differently, and people who write to me, i got two letters just this week alone. But I haven't always seen things that way. I'm an obscure person in an obscure town, in an obscure part of the world, preaching to obscure people (laughs) on eternal truths, And as you know, and you can see with your own eyes, and they come and they go, and they come and they go, and they come and they go. One man that I know, now he's the president of a prestigious Christian college, the same age as me, and I looked at that there and I told my wife, I said, I could have done what he did. I don't lack in any talents that he has, but I can tell you one thing, I've been faithful to stay at my post where God sent me. many, many times I sat and I said, I told my wife out loud, it's a failure. Sat in that office 18 years ago, Ceiling was dripping. Metal chairs left my denomination on principle because I wouldn't kowtow to people who are dishonest and still portray their dishonesty, which others are willing to accept, and I was not. God opened up this place here, and I'm sitting by myself in the office. The first thought that came to me, probably from Satan himself on that account, saying, look at you. I was (laughs) 50-something. And I was thinking about all the people I knew that made it big. Big on the platform, the stage, and all that stuff. And Christianity, I mean. And I just said to myself, what a loser. But then I said, no, I'm not a loser. I'm standing here, we're sitting on my convictions. Let the roof leak, we'll fix it. And we did about five times. <laughs> and we'll get this thing going. And God will provide. And guess what? He has, because that was my declaration of faith in a time of great pessimism. People to this day ask me, did I do the right thing? Would I do it all over again? I say, I sure would. And I'd make those letters even stronger. Not vulgar, just stronger. You've seen What a Wonderful Life, or It's a Wonderful Life, and it's a great movie. One of the very few popular Christmas movies that doesn't have Santa Claus in it. But Jimmy Stewart is always gonna make it big and he never does. He's always stuck in this little town with some problem. Then he learned, when he's ready to commit suicide, the angel comes to him and starts to reveal all of the things that his life has accomplished that he was not aware of. His brother, he saved his life from drowning in the lake, the frozen lake, went on to become a World War II hero, and on and on and on. They began to see all the effect that his life has had when he didn't see it that way. You need to begin to see your life from God's perspective. Amen. We talked about that last week, but when he says we are more than conquerors, God designed that we actually prove that, not just say that, prove it. That should be your aim and that should be your declaration. Let me give you this one here, number four. One of my favorites, all-time favorites is Habakkuk. Let me give you the backdrop of the story before I read the verse. Habakkuk is a contemporary of Jeremiah. They know, and very few knew, The Babylonians were going to come and take them off the land, going to conquer the whole land. How would you feel today if you knew for certain that that was going to happen here in America? Going to remove the Americans off, take the flag, burn it, or do whatever they want, knock down all our statues, which, by the way, they're starting to do anyway, and take us into a foreign country, to a land where we don't speak, take our children. Some of them were walking naked when they took them out of the land. And Habakkuk knew that. Yet, in a time of national perplexity, he makes a declaration of faith when he's perplexed about this. We're the people of God. How could this happen to us? We've got the temple. We've got this. we got promises. We've got the Bible. Yet, it was going to happen because that was in the Bible. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17 says this. Although the fig tree shall not blossom. Remember, he knows his nation is going to be conquered. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither fruit be in the vines, The labor of the olive shall fail and the field shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Yet will I rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength and he will make my feet like hinds feet and he will make me to walk upon mine high places. Then it's signed off here and there's more to it. To the chief singer on my stringed instruments is a song. They're going to be captive. Family, his relatives, his friends, whole nation, Judah, they're all going captive. But this is what real faith is. Once again, it's not claiming God's promises when things are going well. It's making a declaration of faith when they're not going well. And for some of you right now, today, things are not going well. What declaration will you make? What declaration do you actually believe? That's the most important thing. What do you really believe? Because it comes out of your mouth. And it comes out of your mouth when you're not aware of it. I told you I study people, but mostly I study myself. And I have found contradictions over the years that I didn't care for. So years ago, I set out to reconcile those contradictions. So whether I'm laying on the stretcher somewhere, or my back hurts when I get up in the morning, or there's something up against me and I can't resolve it mentally, I can't figure it out, I make a declaration of faith. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I will look at the word and see what it says and then wait upon the Lord for his deliverance. And he makes you wait sometimes. But that is the nature, so to speak, of the game. That's how it's played. The Americans went into World War II. In one of the very first battles in Tunisia, El-Guitara, they suffered a devastating defeat at the hands of Erwin Rommel. What are we going to do, says the general. We need to bring in someone who knows tanks. His junior officer says, Patton? Maybe so. And between Patton and Montgomery, the British general, they blew away the Germans on the second attempt in Tunisia, (laughs) El-Guitara. Because you lost a battle does not mean you're going to lose the war. Don't get that out of your head. You lost a battle here, you lost a battle there. doesn't mean you're going to lose the war unless you give up. And if you give up, then you lose simply by default. You quit. And if you quit, you lose. But if you stay up, I should say stay in and show up. That's what I always tell young people at the gym. Just show up. Just keep showing up. And eventually you're going to have success at what you're trying to accomplish. So we have four declarations of faith. We have Job and Paul and David and Habakkuk in very desperate situations. In my mind, Habakkuk was probably one of the worst. He knew his country was going to be captive. Yet I will sing. I don't care what goes wrong. I am determined to sing and praise God. Lastly, how could I not mention the father of faith, Abraham? And he made a declaration of faith in the time of puzzlement. You ever been puzzled? puzzle today trying to figure out just what is pastor ray saying i don't get it puzzlement is feeling or showing confusion because something is difficult to understand but the book tells us lean not to thine own understanding don't lean to your own understanding in all thy ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths you don't like where you're at today question who's leading you if god is leading you but you still find it hard It's designed to make you stronger. Nietzsche was a philosopher and, I would say, a heretical theologian. But he did have a few good things to say. And he's the one that came up with this. Whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Nietzsche or Nietzsche. Genesis chapter 17, verse 17. God is telling him you're going to have a child. He doesn't have any. Well, by now he has Ishmael. That was a mistake, as you know. Well, I mean a mistake historically because God put a blessing on Ishmael. And don't forget that. I mean, read the text. Read the text for yourself. Stop watching the news and commentators and even Bible commentators. Read it for yourself. Read the text carefully. It was a blessing on Ishmael. The descendants of Abraham. Don't forget that. Then Abraham fell upon his face when he was told he was going to have a child. And he laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that is a hundred years old? And shall Sarah that is ninety years old bear? And she laughed also. Oh, and when God asked, why'd your wife laugh? She said, I didn't laugh. I didn't laugh. Wouldn't me. They laughed. Imagine going to visit at the nursing home. And you're going to visit a man and his wife. They happen both to both be in there together. One, he's 100, and she's 90. Just a nice, old couple. Church people, good couple. And he tells you in your visit, did you see Sarah, my wife, there? She's 90. He's 100. I mean, who's we celebrating his birthday with so many candles? You had to light the candles with a World War II flamethrower. <laughs> blow him out with the uh, fire department. And he keeps saying that him and his wife are going to have a baby. So what do you think? What's the first thing you think? And don't lie to me. You think dementia. <laughs> He's got dementia. Well, the guy's got dementia. It's in his charts. He's demented. But then one day, we hear this cry of this infant. And the 90-year-old woman gives birth And his name is called Isaac, which means laughter. And Isaac gave birth to Jacob, and Jacob to the 12 tribes. Judah was one of them. And Judah, and you keep going down the line to David and so on. Then we come to Jesus. A hundred years old. I wouldn't want to stand here in this pulpit and tell you that I just found out that my wife and I are having a baby. (laughs) It would not only be physically painful, it would be psychologically intolerable. How about Esther and her declaration of faith in the face of a precarious situation? And since time is running on, I'll give you the verses to look up for yourself. But she's told by her uncle Mordecai that Haman plans on killing all the Jews because of his jealousy and hatred and so on. Now, Esther is raised up by the providence of God to be married to the king, his queen, and she's a Jew. But no one knows that. Now a declaration has gone out to kill every single Jew in the land. And who has prevented that through the centuries? It wasn't Israel. It was God. It still will be God. Anyway, Mordecai goes to Esther and says, you've got to go in and talk to your husband, Ahasuerus. She says, if you don't hold out the golden scepter, even I won't be spared. When he's in conference and he's in meetings. And Mordecai says, do you think you're going to be spared when they kill all the Jews? You'll not be spared. But he says, he has faith. He says, no matter... Why, you don't go, then God will raise up deliverance from another place. But you'll be held responsible for your disobedience. Anyway, she goes in, if you read it later in Esther chapter 4. She says, all right, have everybody fast for me and I'll go in. And if I perish, I perish. She did not know the outcome. We do. So it's easy for us to say, hey, it's going to end all well. But remember, when you're reading over here, here's 1 Samuel. Samuel doesn't know how it's going to end. You do. But in the book of your life, you don't know yet how it's going to end, but by faith that you really believe that God is going to make you strong and keep you strong and so on and keep going down the line with exceeding great and precious promises that you can dig into daily as often as you want and then you have to have them take root in your heart that you actually really believe this and then live it. Audie Murphy, 50 Germans, he kills them standing on top of a tank all by himself until he ran out of ammunition. Came home, gave him the Medal of Honor. Then he became a movie star. Everything works well. Well, it wasn't all that pretty. First of all, fighting by yourself on a tank, it wasn't all that easy. But then he began, had a real battle with alcohol for many years. It's not easy for anyone, my friends. But I'll end with this one, who was always my favorite when I first started reading the Bible, and that was Samson. And Samson makes a declaration of faith in a time when he was certain to pass. He knew he was going to die, but he still believed God. He had already made his sin and his mistakes, gave his strength over to women. Show me the secret of your strength, says his wife. And he lies a couple of times until finally he gives her. In fact, she vexed him so much that he said, I just, I want to die. Now that's kind of a picture of marriage sometimes, I think. I mean, from both ends, I mean, you know. You got to be prepared when you take a vow to get married and stay married. And I do this with anybody whose wedding I've done. Get prepared to take a vow that says, rich or poor, better or worse, sickness, health, we'll stay together. Why is that there? Because it's not always pretty. It's not always the same pleasurable thing. And again, I'll leave this to you to read later because of time. In Judges chapter 16. Here's Samson. I remember it was my mom who took me to the movies after school, which at that time happened to be kindergarten, watching the movie Samson with Victor Mature. And how impressed I was at the end of the movie after he's blind and they're mocking him, the Philistines. They're mocking him and he makes this prayer as he stands there in the Colosseum, the small Colosseum. He says to the boy, he says, bring me to the place where the two pillars are holding up this building. And he stands between those pillars. And he says, Lord, just avenge me of my eyes this one last time and let me die with my enemies. I'll never forget the sound that they made in that movie. We hear this, they're all laughing at him as he's pushing and you hear, it's easy to declare, hey, you're healed, you're healed, you're healed, and I go home in my Rolls Royce, and you go home in what, some junker? Because that uh, message is false. We're all in this together, and there's going to come a time when you're going to die physically, and at that moment when you die physically, are you going to be able to say, take me, Lord, take me. I want to just very, very quickly, if I may, please. I want to just tell you very quickly two stories, and I'll finish. One is about my dad. Some of you know, because you're friends with me on Facebook, my dad was one of eight boys. My grandmother had eight boys. My grandfather died at 38 from heart disease. My grandmother was a single mom her entire life and raised eight boys, and certainly not a lot of money. Very poor. My dad was second to the youngest and joined the military at 17 in 1940, the beginning of World War II. Then my uncle Harold joined after that. My grandmother had eight boys, all in the military, during World War II. But what you need to know, in case this is not part of your history, and you don't know this. My father joined the Merchant Marines. They were not declared veterans until 1988. I've met people, no disrespect, I've met people who were in the Navy and said, well, they were Merchant Marines, they got paid. That man, even though he served this country, knows nothing about history. When the navy was suffering one casualty out of 114 the merchant marines was their list was one out of every 26. they had more casualties than any other branch of the military all of them included the merchant marines had more my father wanted to join the navy and they were keeping the headlines of how sailors were dying from the merchant marine they didn't want them to jump ship and join the navy no disrespect i'm just telling you that's history look it up in 2022 The Merchant Marines in general got the gold medal, not Medal of Honor, but the gold medal given to them for their bravery in service. My father went to join the Navy. They said, we need you more than the Merchant Marines. And we're never telling my dad or anybody else. They were dying more than the United States Marine Corps, the Army, Navy, Air Force, all combined. Now, what does that have to do with it? This message, it relates to this one story. There was a man here locally. He's passed away now who has always done good by me. Him and his family has always done good by me, and he was doing some work for me, and was an old man at the time. And as we, well, he was finishing up, we stood at the end of my driveway. He was the United States Marine, World War II. And he began to tell me about his landing on Iwo Jima. He was in Iwo Jima, Guadalcanal, and Okinawa, all three. And as he began to talk, a tear came out of his eye. Which I'm supposing that this was not something that he usually did because he was kind of a I'll just say a man, he was kind of John Wayne character. With a nub of a cigar, he was chewing on, was talking to me, till so the tear came. At three thirty in the morning, his mother woke up feeling impressed. She needed to pray for her son, not knowing he had just landed on Iwo Jima. In the sand, just like you see in the movies. And he showed me this tiny little scar. I mean a little little thing. we would never notice unless he pointed it out where a bullet just happened to graze his forehead. As his mother, don't know why, she's home praying, protect her son, and all around him his buddies are all dying. They're all getting blown off the beach, as you know the story. I share that with you to talk about the providence of God. I find myself watching television less and less and less, and I mean the news, from both sides. I'm intelligent, I read, I make my own conclusions, I've always had an independent way of thinking, And I make my own conclusions and I move on. You know why? Because I cannot control what's going on in the Middle East. I cannot control what's going on in the Ukraine, in the Baltic. I cannot control what's going on around the world, but I can and must control myself. That's what I want to leave with you today. You can and must control yourself. That's the only thing that you can actually control, is yourself. Your thinking, your words, your behavior. The rest you cannot control. What declaration are you making today today? In regards to your pain, persecution, perplexity, pessimism, and so on. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Grow your faith in Christ, because believe me, in the days ahead, you're going to need it. You can't control what goes on in Washington. We believe that we can, but now we're finding that it may be doubtful that we can control much that we think we can control in America. But you can and must control yourself. For that, you will be responsible why pass by all these great promises of God? Because God keeps his word. I mean, if you've had, the, and I know some of you have, had a bad experience with a pastor who did exactly what I just told you. I know these stories to be true. So I know the people. Say something to the pastor in private, and he makes an illustration of it. And everybody in the church knows who he's talking about. It's an unconscionable thing to do. But what declaration are you making? Where's your faith really at? Are you a testimony to your friends, family, your community, your neighborhood? You need to be Because you can go through this Bible and find many more than seven great declarations of faith. Make your own. Be another testimony that is somehow invisibly written in the 11th chapter of Hebrews. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today. And I know there's people sitting here watching by live stream, listening by way of radio, that are in pain or perplexed or puzzled. They're going through it right now, Father. And now their faith is being tested. And it's okay, because now we find out exactly how much faith we really do have. Cause us all to pass the test when we go through it. Cause us all, Lord Father God, to be able to stand firm in the faith, like Abraham, who staggered not at the promise of God, but remained firm in the faith and gave you glory. Help everyone within the sound of my voice be found in that place where we give you all the honor and all the glory with our worship, which goes far beyond just singing with everything we do. Just keep that thought in your mind as you leave today, go home, wherever you're going. Worship is how we live. part of that, a great part of that, is how we speak. And eventually, you will speak what you actually believe, really believe. So what you want to do is saturate your heart and mind with the word of God. Your faith is strong. Because as Betty Davis said in the movie All About Eve, talking about aging, for those of us who are aging, it ain't for sissies. I'm finding that what the old people said when I blew them off, like, I work out. when I do. I didn't smoke, drink. I said, what? That's what they were talking about. Holy moly. It's the back. It's the knee. It's this. It's that. It ain't for sissies. But neither is real Christianity. It ain't for sissies. It's for real men and real women of God. Don't you kowtow or back down from anybody. I wants to make you think that you're some kind of whatever they say. We are not. We're men and women of God. Father, bless my friends, my Christian family with these things and help them to make their declaration of faith and make it be real. That they refuse to give in and they'll see the deliverance of God. This week, remind us to love you with all the heart, all the soul, all the mind, and all the strength. And we give you the praise for all these things today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen?